Hi, I'm Tristan Miller, and this is Positive and Negative, a podcast about the intersectionality between mental health and the arts. This week's guest is Abby Crutchfield. She's a stand-up comedian and a wonderful person and a mother. We have a discussion about anxiety and how it affects her life. Here she is talking about that very subject. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and that's what they don't tell you when you're when you're a person with anxiety and you have it all the time. You think I hate everyone and everything. Mm-hmm. Everything is bad. That's what you think. Everything is bad, and if it's not bad, it's gonna be bad soon. Mm-hmm. And so you're right when it's when you are able to turn that off and finally like alleviate it or manage it. You realize, oh, things are actually not so bad. You can follow Abby at Curly Comedy on most social media platforms. Here she is talking about how to navigate anxiety while also being a stand-up comedian. I would say it's understandable, and you're not alone. A lot of people have anxiety. And it also isn't the only way to be in life. There is hope that you don't have to struggle with it as such a heavy burden. I don't know that you can get rid of it completely. I'm actually not certain about that, but um, but I know what it takes for me to be at peace and I also know how to identify stressful triggers that can kind of then snowball into anxiety Mm -hmm. um so for me once I feel the most anxious it's because I can trace it back to oh yeah this happened and this went unchecked and I have not been exercising or I have not been you know whatever and so um so yeah I would say there's if you're feeling kind of hopeless like I hate the way that this is and I hate that this always has to be this way the good news is it doesn't always have to be that way this podcast is brought to you in part by Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash Tristan J. Miller to support this program and others like it. The music is composed and performed by Billy Conaham. It's a track called To Be or Nah off of the album Leaping with Intent to Fly. You can find him on SoundCloud and Bandcamp and iTunes and wherever fine music is found. Also, a specific note about this episode Abby is a mother and her child lives with her in her home, as do her two dogs, and at various points you can definitely hear them. Um, I tried to reduce it as much as possible, but please be forgiving of a little baby and two big dogs. Okay, let's get to the interview. Hi, how are you? Hi, Tristan, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for having me over at your home um, the palatial estate. Yes, the palatial estate. Um, so where do you, I, I know nothing about you, pretty okay. much, other than you're very funny Thanks. and on Twitter. Those are the two things I know. Where I do, do you have th- a Twitter account. Yes, you and do. And I also am funny on that account. Yes. Um, and we're hanging out with my daughter. If, yes. I don't know if she's picking up, She's if her voice is on there. She's enjoying an apple. Ooh, I am jealous. Um... <laughs> Where did you grow up? Where are you from? I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana. Oh, okay. And I grew up there, and I moved to New York right after college. So I went to school in D.C., and then mm-hmm. came out to New York right after college, and I've been here ever since. Um, where'd you go to school for? Georgetown. I went to school. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I just shoehorned him. <laughs> I thought you were saying, where'd you go to school? Yeah. I went to school for a degree in foreign service, and I liked foreign, I liked French I think, yeah, mm-hmm. I was really, I had taken French since I was eight, and so I wanted to be able to use a foreign language while I was in college, uh-huh. and while there, I also took Italian, 
and got a degree that kind of is an international relations degree. Okay. And may I ask, what happened? <laughs> why am I not using it? Yeah, why? What's going I on? I mean, one might say performing <laughs> comedy is a service. Yes. And when your audience is foreign, it's a, it's a foreign service. Yep. Absolutely. Have you ever done uh, any shows in other languages besides English? Well, there was a show for our French expats at Stand Up New York back over the winter that I did, and you're allowed to blend the languages. Yeah. And I'd never done a set all in French, so I and I didn't that night either. But at (laughs) least I could conversationally incorporate Mm -hmm. French and kind of translate a joke. It wasn't mm-hmm. necessary because anybody who's French speaking, a francophone that lives over here is pretty fluent in English. Yeah. But it's fun. It's fun to kind of flex your your, your language skills mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. anything that other students were classically using it for, such okay. as going into grad studies for international law or international business or mm-hmm. taking the foreign service exam and working abroad. Mm-hmm. So I came home and did a open mic at the local comedy club probably the second week I was home just yeah. because I was curious to try it and that's when I was like oh this is a better career path for me than whatever I was studying in school sure um and was it you said you was curiosity was it based off of like having consumed stand-up and enjoyed it or was it just literal like yes it was um I I started a stand-up club in college and we performed mm-hmm. so uh so I had performed on campus once, but it felt like it was a talent show for school. It didn't feel legitimate. And I happened to reconnect with an old high school friend, or no, an old middle school friend, just randomly. You know how adults find each other after college, and you're like, oh my gosh, you're a person now. So we would hang, and we went to a comedy club upon his suggestion, and Mm -hmm. then at the end of the night, they reminded people that they could sign up for an open mic, and he told me, like, you should sign up. Just just because I think because I said something like I've always wanted to do it or I did it in school but it didn't feel real so Uh for some reason doing the open mic at that local comedy club called Crackers it felt much more legitimate because there was an audience and there's a stage and lights Mm -hmm. open mic in New York has a different connotation it does it means like detention (laughs) it's just (laughs) dead silence and people looking at notes and hating life yep it does it feels more like a uh, every open mic feels like it's five seconds away from being becoming an AA meeting like it's, <laughs> yeah same vibe yeah uh, but but less empathy yeah sure <laughs> absolutely um and so you move from Indiana to here what's um yes. did, did you do any comedy besides the one open mic here did you do any comedy besides there in Indiana or no? Yes, I did. I had tried out for a local improv team and I had just gotten hired to it when I decided that I was going to leave for New York. Sure. So I didn't really get to. Oh, and I also did mm, dinner theater out in Indianapolis. Okay. So in this season of the summer of 04 to uh, the you know following winter, like the early, early of 05, I was kind of just having a bunch of jobs. I was working as a nightclub waitress. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, a cocktail waitress, an Italian restaurant waitress at a different venue, and a substitute teacher, wow. and then doing dinner theater. And the dinner theater was the only thing that made money, but also was kind of like the hobby. Mm-hmm. And so that, and I was auditioning for like community theater plays, and clearly I had this idea of, I want to see if I'm any good at this so I can see if I can turn this into a career. So it was part playtime, but part like, yeah. I got to figure something out. <laughs> sure. I had this internal pressure of, I can't have wasted this entire four years I spent getting a degree. Uh-huh. I need to figure out how to make money that's legitimate. And and I didn't think I needed to do it in Indianapolis, but I didn't know where to go. Mm-hmm. 
I was debating LA or New York. So, so yeah, I was, I was flexing the same kind of comedy skills and, and learning to be on camera. I signed with a local modeling agency and did some live appearances as a human statue or whatever you do <laughs> <Yeah>. when you're, <laughs> yeah. when you're modeling not for print. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, so there was kind of this, I was very driven and I was trying to just stay busy all the time mm-hmm. so that I had something to put on a resume and something just to look like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to make a career out of this. Yeah. And, um, that make that absolutely makes sense. Um, and so you've done a fair amount of acting as well. Yeah. The acting I did that summer after school was a local commercial, like three local commercials. Sure. And uh, two independent films, mm-hmm. and it was like quite a busy summer. Now yeah. that I think about it, like summer and fall sure. season. I was. Yeah. Go on, go I wish on, go I had on, that on. level of drive, but it was yeah. truly just to prove something. Like I didn't waste my degree. It was like, yeah. So like, yeah, I can do this. See, yeah, see? Yeah, see, look how look how yeah. in demand I am, and I'm yep. ding dong, ding dong, I'm yeah. ringing doorbells. Does anybody want me to in anything? <laughs> yeah, I'm circling newspaper, you know, whatever one ads. Yeah, and so uh, it's so funny to think about now. But um, but yeah, at the time, it was all this like desperate attempt to prove that I was doing something. And since I had no idea how it was done, like how do you get any representation interested in you? I don't even think yeah. I knew the word representation yet. I was just like, I don't know. You make it happen, kiddo. Yeah. So then to, in New York, however, you know, with all that experience and confidence behind me and like, you know, high school friends coming to see the shows and, yeah. and making me feel. Once I got to New York, I was scared into my shell. I didn't know anybody in this town. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the vibe of the open mics was completely yeah. different. There was no camaraderie. There was no sharing notes, at least at the uh-huh. few that I attended. Yeah. It was truly just like a bare bones coffee shop. And you'd hear absolutely the worst ideas shared on stage. Yeah. <laughs> And anyone exposed to an open mic has already experienced this, but when a joke isn't funny yet at an open mic, it it often isn't. It's horribly offensive. And I was just like, my ears hurt from this nonsense. I mean, I I have a fondness for it now. Like I have an affection towards it where Mm -hmm. it's not like I'm, I don't think these people are evil and whoever's up there sharing their unrefined idea that they are some kind of like psychopath but mm-hmm. it's just uncomfortable i think yeah and you're already nervous because you have to share your ideas so it's just uh it's just funny the kind of atmosphere it creates when yeah. you're hearing someone say something offensive and and you don't feel good about yourself and you're just like <laughs> this is hell yeah <laughs> this is like sartre's version of hell <laughs> it's like ah, but i didn't get any laughs but i didn't say anything offensive does that make me better yeah, did than i is- somehow do better no yeah, it doesn't no. even i mean especially like we're the the podcast kind of centers around um you know anxiety or it can anyway yeah, like yeah. this is where anxiety came into play i would not be judging anybody as harshly as i judge myself oh, for sure so i would leave that that place not saying what you just said which yeah. would have been a great way to evaluate <laughs> my set and be like hey i got all my ideas out i did okay yeah instead i'd be like oh and i didn't get a laugh i can't do that next time mm-hmm. and you know where in indiana you'd have an audience kind of yeah. encouraging you by seeing where you're going with this they're mm-hmm. like oh i get that mm-hmm. um and so i would bring it back to the stage the following week and be like edit it really easily without mm-hmm. the last i would just go oh that was garbage i can't even do that next time yeah and so it's really slowed the growth and i had no idea the part that anxiety was taking a role in of like impeding me but that mm-hmm. was like an early sign of it yeah um during the steps like how many times have you questioned whether or not you should be doing this because you did kind of make a like not yeah. push buttons but you made a you made a choice yeah well i didn't question it until probably this year i think really? that yeah now that i'm 15 years into comedy 
<laughs> and it's, it's only like the anniversary thing, the fifteenth year yeah, anniversary. It's just, you question it's it. more, and it's it's more yeah. about like um, you get to evaluate now that I know more about what is involved in the business. Yeah, and I know my work ethic, and I know my potential. You know, I don't think anyone can ever know their potential, but I know my limitations. Like sure. I, I've seen how I've been. And then there's also sacrifices you make. Like uh, I chose to get married. I chose to own pets. I chose to have a kid. All of these yep. things affect your finances and and your schedule, which then affects your ability to be available for performances. Yeah. And then you also ask yourself, like, do I still want to perform for free to get better, or should I only be taking paid gigs? And if I only take paid gigs, you know, mm-hmm. do I need to hustle harder to get into clubs? So it's a it's a different kind of grind. Yeah. Than you know when I was in my early twenties, just going like. The world is my oyster and I'll be sure. famous in four years. So the only matter of question left is how do I want to become famous? Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, do I want to do improv? Do I want to do sketch? Do I want to mm. do commercials? Do I want to act? And it was like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So I would try everything and 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 stand up was the, the one constant. Like I think all those yeah. other things kind of lent themselves to building my stage presence and mm-hmm. you know, my brand. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but as far as um as far as like whether I wanted to still do it, I just knew it was such a long haul that I couldn't really give myself the option of leaving. Yeah. The only the only uh, sign I would have taken that I can't hack it in comedy is if I could not afford to live in New York City. Sure. Because I feel like it has to happen in New York or L.A. And you have to find a way to live here. So I've tempt, I've mm-hmm. held down, you know, admin jobs and different corporate office jobs. and um, And if I ever had a rent that was just too high and I was like, digging pizza out of the trash I would have yeah. called it quits I would have said <laughs> yeah. this is a sign that you need to get your priorities straight sure um that doesn't mean I haven't had hard times but it, they haven't been so hard that it's like what are you doing mm-hmm. you know I remember a friend who was starting out doing the open mic scene and Luke and I were dating my husband Luke Thayer who's also a full-time comic he and I were dating so we weren't living in the same space but mm-hmm. he was letting this guy crash on his couch sure and the guy was like this is my way of saving money. I'm going to couch surf for the first whatever years. Yeah, and I'm like, for years. years. <laughs> <laughs> it just was his plan. And I just thought you were going to burn out so fast. Yeah, also, you're going to burn so many friendships out. <laughs> he didn't. He's still a great friend and he's a full-time comic too. Well, there you go. So he's, <laughs> it worked for him, but I knew for myself it wouldn't work yeah. that way. I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. Yeah. And I think this is something that kind of ties in of like the idea of, making sure you're healthy and okay is that more important than your art generally i would say overall um yeah exactly can you tell me like why what about stand-up does like make you like want to pursue it so actively does that Mm -hmm. make sense well you know i know it can be done i know you can make a living from it Mm -hmm. i have a set of skills i think that lend themselves to other art forms as well sure or other mediums such as commercial acting so i know that i can supplement my income and still try to earn a living at at stand-up because i don't think i'm cut out for the road dog lifestyle yeah um meaning if you're playing you're playing a restaurant and also they can't cover hotel or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to have to drive all the way home or pay for your own motel. Mm-hmm. I've done that and it's so grueling. It just takes away from the fun of actually making people laugh at the venue. Yeah. And I could do the road dog lifestyle if it was you're always going to have Holiday Inn as part yep. of your package. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, and we are glad you're here. Yeah. And, our, you know, we've put up 
promotion for you and people are excited about you and well you know there's that kind of road life that's different that a lot of headliners do experience mm-hmm. on a regular basis yeah. and I get that it's the you're in a venue that is meant for performance yeah it's yeah. the while you're an unknown and you mm-hmm. are dealing with bookers that also are in their spare time are completely bonkers yeah and, and or predatory or dishonest you know if they've got mm-hmm. some character flaw where they decide not to pay you on a whim or try to turn it around on you and blame you for like the lack of draw yeah because they've done no promotion yeah. there are those kind of experiences that are part of stand-up that you can take once in a blue moon but consistently mm-hmm. that would be really really difficult yeah. but um what i kind of like that's very good to know and that's uh good information to give what i kind of meant by that was more like how does it make you feel like what draws you to it like is it making people laugh is it the ability to like be listened to for mm-hmm. 45 minutes or whatever what 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 do you think gotcha well i loved the art form before i knew how to do it yeah. and so i've enjoyed watching stand-up mm-hmm. live and on television and as i got closer to it i enjoyed meeting professionals that do it for a living i like the um i think i like the kind of personality that's drawn to it to who cares enough about it to take it as a craft treat mm-hmm. it as a craft and the actual act of doing it, you know, creating your own jokes from your own observations and your own drawing from your own life experience or just your creativity mm-hmm. and then sharing it with a crowd who does not know how to do that. And therefore there's like this, what is it? Uh, not suspense, but they're just like this polite patience of waiting to yeah. see what you have for them and then pleasantly surprised by laughing. Like that whole yeah. process is, is nice. I just yeah. the benefit of the doubt is what I'm thinking of. Uh, I yeah. love when a c- club is quiet and you get a chance to talk, and mm-hmm. then you don't disappoint them. Like yep. I, that that's whole, an ideal situation. They trust you, and and you know that they should trust you. So everybody's having a good time. It's, yeah, it's called synergy. Making people yep. laugh is a great feeling. Did the anxiety first occur when you started doing stand up, or was it always kind of around, and then that exemplified it? I think. The anxiety was always around. At first, I just called myself a people pleaser. Sure. I learned that term, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a people pleaser, as if it was just a personality trait and not something harmful to my psyche. Yeah. I just thought some people care that other people like them and will do anything (laughs) to make sure that that happens. Yeah. Um, And so so I just thought that performing was an extension of that. But honestly, like at a party, if I said something – I could go home and then ruminate about it for two days. Mm-hmm. In the shower, I would be like, stupid, why did you say that? And then Luke would be like, what's going on? I'm like, oh, nothing, nothing. I'm just uh, working out a bit. But in my head, <laughs> it would be like, why did I say that? And so, um, so yeah, I think that um, there's uh, an element of anxiety that's kind of infiltrated my life at different points in time. And it yeah. all coincides with, like, am I dealing with something stressful? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because, like, I totally have felt at peace before. And I've yeah. been in the zone with performing, and it's been fine. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until it was, like, I was on tour with some friends, three women, and we had this wonderful – we had already uh, toured different um, states together. So the group at the, when we started was Pink Collar Comedy. And we changed our name to Cake because that was an acronym of our first names. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, it was, like, before a Cake performance, and we were in a diner, and we are all just, like, Different people do things to let loose. Some people like sure. get real keyed up and start joking with each other. Other people retreat and go inward. And I was just crying at dinner. And I just felt like, I feel like I'm going to die. And it wasn't uh-huh. a panic attack. It was um, 
it was a uh, uh, what do you call it? It felt like I was on death row or something, you know, dead uh-huh. man walking. It was just sure. like I can't not perform. I don't feel ready, and it's mm-hmm. just not acceptable to to do what I want to do, which is flee. I just want to yeah. run the opposite direction. And so I cried before thinking like I, I everything's hopeless and I have no option, no way out. Then I got on stage, not in tears, but just like <laughs> defeated. You can see when I'm anxious is like I just kind of cave into myself. My shoulders mm-hmm. slump forward. I, uh, you know, I'm not smiling as much. I mumble a lot more. Mm-hmm. It's just like, hey, and then when I've told a punchline, I don't kind of wait for laughs. So my timing gets off. Yeah. And then I get in my head about that. I'm like, I can see that this is happening and mm-hmm. it sucks. And so, yeah. So yeah. that's why it just kind of like has an avalanche domino kind of effect. All the, yeah. all the, uh, it builds metaphors. on. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, can you remember like the, the first time that it happened? The, mo- the most intense time was when I got my first opportunity to feature in Ocala, Florida. And I was prepping for it here in New York on a show I produced by giving myself a 30-minute set, I yeah. believe. It might have even been 20 minutes. But either sure. way, um, at the eight-minute mark, I blanked. <gasps> and I got so upset with myself for blanking that I thought, I can't do this in Florida. I got to I gotta perform a whole yeah. 30 minutes. If this happens, I'm toast. Yeah. And I started crying on stage. Oh, no. And I was just like, I kept pausing. I was like, sorry, sorry. Let me think about it. Sorry. Uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> ah, and that was the worst I've, I had ever felt up to that point uh-huh. in comedy. And when I got off the stage, uh, a fellow comedian, a friend goes, Abby, I don't know what you're going to do in Florida, but uh, don't do that. <laughs> That isn't gonna work. <laughs> it's part of my process. But I remember sitting down yeah. in the audience and feeling so relieved that I didn't have to perform anymore. Like, yeah. it, it was still the same room of people who'd seen me cry, but I was mm-hmm. just like, I feel better now yeah. that I don't have to be up there. Because of your anxiety, do you like going up first or do you like more time to prepare? That's such a funny uh, thing I never thought about. I always like to go first for yeah. different reasons, but I wonder if it has to do with that discomfort of like let's get this over with mm-hmm. I definitely have that in my head of like I hate that I have to perform tonight but as soon as it's over it's over and I can relax so let's yeah. just get through this which is when Luke when I say that out loud Luke is just like I cannot imagine living that way and pursuing a career yeah. where you thought that <laughs> he's like the performing is the fun part yeah <laughs> and I'm like yeah, yeah yeah once I'm on stage but it's the leading up to being on stage that's I dread and yeah. it's like that will be over as soon as I'm done and so, hi, babe. And so, um, oh, gosh, what was the question? Do I go first? I, I don't mm. mind. I don't think it builds pressure to know I'm going last, especially yeah. if I've, I've got, like, a bigger, a longer set. You know, like, I don't mind going last. But it's more of just, like, if I'm anxious, it's mm-hmm. nice to go first. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I totally agree with you. Like, the minute and a half to three minutes before – you go on stage and you're just going over your yeah. set and going over your set is just hell on earth because you're just like, will I remember everything? And the answer is always no. I hate that feeling. Sometimes I just don't even go over my set because I'm worried about like, yeah. oh, I don't have it. I don't have it. And, and then it just reinforces the fact that I don't have it if I'm repeating the words up to the very mm-hmm. moment. And so I try to just like say, screw it. Yeah, I'll have to trust myself. And I take a breath, and and it usually is okay. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, this joke leads to that joke. Yeah. Um, do you think you're more aware of what's going on on stage because of the like the anxiety dump? No, I think it hijacks my yeah yeah my conscious. I don't. I'm not present because sometimes I can't even tell after a set if I've done well or not. Yeah. And that's like. Don't Luke will say, don't you remember that applause break after this joke? And I'm like, oh yeah, and it all becomes clearer and focus mm-hmm. comes back. 
And so I try to be mindful of being in the moment before I'm on stage of just like, this is my time. Mm -hmm. It's no big deal. And it's going to have, it's going to be fun. How was the um, adjustment like, I don't want to harp on this too much, but like going from app, like I came from theater and then I started doing stand up. Uh And coming from a background of like absolutely not performing, or did you do like speech and debate growing up or anything like that? I did speech and debate. Okay, so you were comfortable. I did school plays. Oh, okay. Um, I had even did I do any radio? I can't think if I did anything else like professionally performing, but mm-hmm. but like I said, the dinner theater leading yeah. up to it, all of this was before really doing stand up in New York City. So mm-hmm. so I was. That I was comfortable on stage. Yeah. I always looked confident and I always looked comfortable. Those were early notes I got. And and my and when I smile, when my body language can kind of open up, yeah. you would not know I'm in my head. And and like I said, if I'm really in my head, you'll see it kind of yeah. on me. Um, do you think the anxiety has gotten worse since moving to New York? Because of the way the city is? Um, I don't think... I don't attribute it to New York, no. I, okay. I attributed it to just... Um, it going unchecked for years <laughs> sure, you know yeah. like if you don't yeah. tune in yourself and say this is not okay or this this mm-hmm. deserves being dealt with like i, I yeah. think this is not okay is definitely something i've told myself and that does that makes it worse yeah to be like i feel nervous you shouldn't feel nervous you've been doing it this long yeah, you know like, well that doesn't matter i feel nervous mm-hmm. this is the reality yeah so if i treat it this way if i feel nervous oh i'm sorry you feel nervous mm. you know that's understandable it's like mm-hmm. you feel unprepared for this for that reason or it's raining outside and what a slog and you know, mm-hmm. all the reasons, like if I can give myself some empathy and compassion and mm-hmm. and talk out loud to myself in two different distinct accents, it really, <laughs> it's a colorful, you know, but just like give myself a, a pep talk and a pat on the back instead of yeah a self-flagellation of like, you should be better by now. You know? Yeah. Um, where did you learn those techniques? Where did I pick that up? Um, I think, you know, bits and pieces along the way of just like pep talks from my husband I saw a counselor for like um anxiety and and just having someone listen to me with that mm-hmm. kind of empathy instead of every time I beat myself up during that convo her being like oh I don't view it that way I view it like this is tough it's not, it's not you know I'd be like it's such an I'm such an idiot for even thinking this and she'd mm-hmm. be like I don't think you're an idiot I think it's kind of understandable so mm-hmm. it just gave me like an outside perspective and Luke too being like gosh you think you're a failure. What do you think of me? And I was like, <laughs> I would never call you a failure. You yeah. worked so hard, blah, blah, blah. And I yeah. give him a pep talk. And he's like, well, I see the same in you. Do you see that in yourself? And I'd be like, yeah, I guess mm-hmm. technically yeah. I have done those things too. Yeah. So it, it just, it's been nice to have an outside perspective. And then um, I think Instagram inspirational quotes, as horrible as they are, yeah. it's just nice to see people sharing positive messages. Sure, yeah. And that kind of sinks in to a degree. Yeah. Um, I mean, the one of the... There's some summary of like cognitive behavioral therapy that I've heard a lot of people give. It's just like get, treat yourself like a friend you like. Mm-hmm. And I find most of therapy and most of like coping techniques is disassociating yourself from yourself just enough to be like, hey, you're a human being. Yeah. Give yourself space for that. Yeah, you're not a monster. And it's so it's it's actually not a bad idea at all to think of friends or family members who you care about yeah because that's what you're not doing is caring about yourself yes you're you're putting all the other feelings about it like being disappointed or angry or, mm-hmm. or worried but you're not giving any of the like slack you're not cutting yeah. yourself any slack and yeah yeah you you deserve slack yeah just like anybody else um can i ask you about like how has 
has being a mother also like how has that affected the level of anxiety? Because, like, it's a big deal. I don't know if you know this, Abby, but it's a big deal <laughs> Please, to have a kid. Tell me. What is yeah. it like to be a mom, <laughs> Tristan? I, yeah, I think it's actually had a reverse effect. I was super worried I would be yeah. depressed after she was born. You know, I would be pro- prone to postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. I did not experience that, which was a blessing. Yeah. But there's also a ton of internal pressure when you're a mom. Mm-hmm. And I already was, you know, a a professional at having internal pressure and not even functioning well off of it. I used to think Uh I thrived off of it, but then I realized it was harming me. So I thought, gosh, if I do this with myself when I'm a mom, it's going to be 24-7. So I kind of, that's the one thing, even from the moment I delivered her, I felt very proud of myself for having accomplished it. Yeah. Because I was super worried that I was going to be too physically weak to get her out. You know, like I would die and she would die. Like, you know, so (laughs) ruined it again. (laughs) I mean, I even have that fear and I'm not even, you know, biologically. Yeah. Yeah, You know that 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 mindset of whenever you're afraid, you just convert it into worst case scenario. Yeah. So from the moment she was born and I realized, okay, I, I accomplished that and I didn't think I could. And now I know I can. It's been that like, I don't know how I can. Uh get only what sleep every two hours and still Mm. keep her alive and i did that and then whatever other milestone of that's challenging with having an infant a newborn and then an infant and then a toddler Mm -hmm. and so the mom is the place i cut myself the most slack yeah which might backfire later when she's a teenager and be like you think you're mother of the year well you're not and i'd be like incorrect i am (laughs) i have been very good flawless um, so, so it's been a nice example of like being able. It's it's coincided nicely with my treatment of my anxiety, but I also yeah. treated it for her. Like I was yeah. trying to like get to the bottom of it so it didn't carry over into yeah. her internal self esteem of like if mom's so critical of herself, maybe I should be critical of myself. Yeah, and uh, and I don't. I know how that can carry over pretty easily, and yeah. so I don't want it to. And so I worked on it kind of for myself just to be the best like person I could be around the house also for my husband because it's Mm -hmm. no picnic being tied for life to someone that's struggling all the time yeah and so you know it's taken a lot of work and it still takes a lot of work but it's um it's totally been I think helped by the like she's a new reason to work on it yeah that's really lovely yeah it's been good yeah um yeah go ahead no I was gonna say I think of my dogs as (laughs) they've been whining throughout I don't know if they're picking up on the podcast but I think of them as a great outlet. Like they're they're always empathetic. And they're always comfortable, mm-hmm. comforting. Mm-hmm. And I wish that I had done it for them too, because like they deserve it too. All they do is <laughs> give and give, and I just take and take. <laughs> it would have been nice if I had also done it for them, but I haven't. Sure. Um, has it been? How has the transition being a mom and also like a working comedian too? Like, well, like- trying to incorporate work was trickier for me because I really took to being a mom and like I said that was like my new source of confidence yeah and so I didn't want to leave her and yeah and uh you know suddenly a free gig in the city even if it's at a venue I love and I know the show's gonna go well was not a good trade-off for missing two hours with her yeah and so there was that challenge of like it wasn't mom guilt it wasn't like I'm a bad mom if I leave her it was more like she's so much more fun than yeah strangers right now (laughs) And so, uh, so incorporating that, but also there was a pressure of like, nobody, you, you've taken so many months off of stand up now, mm-hmm. you don't know anyone on the scene and nobody knows you. And it'd be true when I went and did shows, people would be like, 
what have you been up to? I haven't seen you in forever. Mm-hmm. Or if they didn't know me, yeah, I know you're on Twitter. Uh, do you do stand-up? And I'd be like, no, nah, I've been doing it for over a decade, <laughs> you. So just that, just kind of like yeah. I know it's important to stay working, not just to grow in the art form, but to be able to network and to be able mm-hmm. to get more opportunities. People mm-hmm. have to know who you are and what you're doing. Yeah. Um, that, that makes sense. Like, Also, it makes sense that like you would be more interested in your kid than hanging out with a bunch of 20-somethings in a bar, presumably. That do not care at all that you're a mom. You know, yeah. like I, the only, <laughs> I draw from my life experiences. When I got married, I joked about that. Owned a dog for the first time. Those were my jokes. Mm-hmm. And so as I'm a mom, I'm trying to mine what's funny about it. Not mm-hmm. because I think this kid is an endless source of material, but because this is what I spend a lot of my day doing. Yeah. So it's like, so this is where all of my observations come from. So I remember performing for 20-somethings for the first time and just being like, <laughs> Wow, I feel like I'm talking Greek to you guys. <laughs> it's a little bit like performing at a college. Sure. Um, at colleges that you're kind of encouraged to not talk about your husband, you talk about your boyfriend. You know, so it's less marriage, it's more dating, and then people can kind of relate. Mm-hmm. But in this place, I would just be like, I have a low breast milk supply, everybody. And they'd be like, oh, what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um Right after somebody doing, yeah, I got so drunk last night. Yeah, jokes, yeah. you know, absolutely. Like, I haven't had alcohol in over nine months because I've been growing a child in my uterus. <laughs> Can you spell uterus? Exactly. Yeah. They're like, we have not heard that word since mm-hmm. science class, and we're mad about hearing it. Um, without getting too deep in the wit, like, what's it like dating another? Oh, being married to rather another mm-hmm. comedian. Dating another comic was fun. Being married, I think, is essential for us like it's i think it's the 100 percent empathy they know yeah. what you're going through and you know what they're going through yeah i think dating was when we were dating a lot of people would be like i don't know how you can date a comic <laughs> sure because there was this i the implied indication of a personality clash like two mm-hmm. two egos coming together yeah or mental illness like somebody's got like they're a narcissist how can you deal with the yeah. sociopath blah, blah, blah. as if only negative personality types <laughs> are drawn to stand up <laughs> And so uh, for us, like... <laughs> or only exist in that clump. Right, like. right. And yeah, and so for, it was not a challenge any more so than it would have been dating anybody else, I yeah. think, profession-wise. Yeah. Personality-wise, you know, Luke and I have butt, butted heads through the years, uh, but we also have been our huge, biggest fans and mm-hmm. and have like weathered some tough times together, so it's a pretty strong friendship. He is my best friend, and I think that oh. that helps for sure. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. And like, have you done shows? Like, would you write jokes with each other? Yeah, we 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 help each other punch up jokes all the time, and we've um, tried to get road gigs together. We've even been able to bring the baby in the green room every now and then. Oh, that's nice. Um, it has been awesome because then. You know, if somebody has a hotel, there's no mm-hmm. envy from the other parent who has to stay back with the baby and the dogs. Yeah. There's like, we're all enjoying this hotel and yeah. free cable. Um, yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, I think. And also we get to be together, which is yeah. well, one thing that's really hard about stand-up is it's a solo pursuit. And there's alone time, which is nice. But then there's like loneliness, which is not yeah. as fun. And so I think it, it's a good combat to the loneliness. Yeah. And other than getting married, like how have you like combated that in the past uh loneliness yeah. oh um like because it can be kind of isolated th- well what i've heard because i've definitely picked the brains of professionals coming up like yeah uh, i remember a guy haywood banks would go antiquing you know like you just find something jl covan likes to watch movies when he's in town me sure. i like to look for the local tj maxx yeah like you find things you like about a town or 
mm-hmm. um, asking about rec- restaurant recommendations and then eating mm-hmm. there. I'm not the kind of person that wants to meet with an audience member. I'm going to shoot myself in the foot. <laughs> after the show and then hang. Like, I don't want to party together sure. with you after the show, typically. Yeah. That's not. But I do think that that is how some comics combat loneliness. Mm-hmm. And they're really social butterflies. And they mm-hmm. make friends and keep friends along the way that yeah. way, which I think is great. Yeah. Um, do you have any, like, social anxieties, do you think? Like, meeting new people all the time or doing road gigs and stuff like that? No, I think I'm an extrovert in that sense. Okay. Um, I am familiar with like entering a party where no one knows you and feeling like, oh my gosh, this is going to take so much of my energy to turn it on. But yeah. I inevitably turn it on because it's like <laughs> I do not want to sit and eat <laughs> Cheetos alone in a room yeah. while, and watch other people talk. I think I know I have some friends that are good at that. They, yeah. they would prefer to sit quietly and observe and it's mm-hmm. like watching a movie for them. But yeah. for me, it's like, it feels like being the last picked on a baseball team. Like, yeah. nobody wants to talk to me. <laughs> so I strike up combo. And yeah. and it's and it's usually a bunch of introverts, you know. Mm-hmm. It'll take a while to get to somebody that's chatty. Yeah. I'm usually the chattiest person. Mm-hmm. So, no, I don't have that kind of social anxiety. There is kind of like, I've been to now, I've been to like, what are they called? There are these parties that you do. I, I hosted a show at True TV for a, a couple seasons. And so mm-hmm. there would be publicity events that you could sure. attend that were in celebration of a launch of a new show or some other product. And those are a different kind of uncomfortable. That's different yeah. than being invited by a mutual friend and meeting their other friends that you mm-hmm. don't really interact with. Because because those kind of parties are like, okay, it's a bunch of people that aren't my type, but we can strike up a conversation. An industry party is, I think, a bunch of insecure people kind of looking yeah. at each other weird. And then when they see someone they know, being extra yeah. loud about it and like, hello. Yeah. And if not, if they are brave enough to talk to each other, they only want to know what are you accomplishing professionally. Mm-hmm. Can you give me a job at any point? Oh, wow. I've not even reached that yeah, level. I but I have definitely been like, yeah, so what do you do? Why should I care about you? Yeah, like, I yeah, think yeah. that word has come out of somebody's mouth before. <laughs> Which one of this uh, in this conversation is the most important part? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and that is not my bag. I do not enjoy that. I was at an industry party and I did see a professional comedian that I do know. And so yeah. I was trying to alleviate that anxiety of not knowing anyone there. Sure. And I told him, I'm so lonely right now. Don't leave me. And he goes, ha, ha, ha. And he turned his back and walked away. <laughs> not as a joke, just as a, you're making me uncomfortable, girl, who I hardly know. <laughs> and so I was like, these things are the worst. Mm-hmm. They're not the worst. They're fun if you just go into it without all your baggage yeah absolutely. i think that's most most things are fun if that you can manage to do that <laughs> turns out yeah <laughs> most of life is fine and pleasant if you're not constantly thinking about your own death yes you know, are, yeah. and that's what they don't tell you when you're when you're a person with anxiety and you have it all the time you think i hate everyone and everything mm-hmm. everything is bad that's what you think everything is bad and if it's not bad it's gonna be bad soon mm-hmm. and so you're right when it's when you are able to turn that off and finally like alleviate it or manage it you realize oh things are actually not so bad yeah yeah absolutely and um like how do you because part of being a stand-up is being present and engaged on stage and we talked briefly about like how sometimes you will get in your own head how do you in those moments reconcile that and kind of snap 
back end of what's going on. Well, I wish it was that you could talk about what's bothering you and turn it into something funny. But I've found that mm-hmm. if I bring up the things that are bothering me, it's not what the audience sees. And so there's a disconnect. Sure. Like be like, oh, my hair is so stupid right now. Or yeah. I think I have lipstick on my teeth. Do I? And I yeah. won't. And then they'll be like, no, you don't. And I'm like, nah, it makes me feel funny. I can't. Yeah. You know, so... I just remember like, okay, whatever's bothering you, they can't see, which mm-hmm. kind of helps me. Yeah. I'm going, oh, okay, so it's really not the problem I think it is. It's just mm-hmm. something that irritates me slightly. Mm-hmm. And so remembering that and being like, you can't fail if you stick to the script. Like sure. sometimes I'll go rogue and want to do crowd work and then get in my head that it didn't go well. And it's just like, how about you just tell the joke as written? Mm-hmm. And then I will, and then that'll get a laugh, and then I'll get back on track. So being present in the moment and remembering that, you can do this. You are not an open micer anymore. There is no, mm-hmm. like there's a ton of room for failure when you're starting out because you don't quite know how to do it. But once you've done it professionally so many years, you have muscle memory to rely on. You've got, like Luke's term is like bombing is really not possible. It's just not yeah. even, even when you bomb, it's never going to look as bad as it could have looked when you're starting out. Yeah. And so that's what helps him through the day. I used to fight him on that all the time. I'd be like, whatever, Bill Burr can still bomb. Everybody bombs. <laughs> And he's, but he's like to, you know, to explain his point, it's really less about like, you really can't, as much as you think you're failing, you're, it's failure is not even an option here because it's not even, you're not capable of failing the way you used to. Yeah. Or the quality of the failure is higher. Yeah. So like, no, even, and you can track that even if you're starting off as an open mic and then you start doing like features, but like the bombs are like, they, they still feel kind of similar internally, but externally, like it's just like that didn't get as many left. Exactly. Like, yeah, that absolutely. So I didn't kill as hard as somebody else did or so how as I could have. I still got paid and they still laughed and there's still, the proof is they compliment you after the show. They're like, yeah. that was really funny. Thank you. And you're yeah. like, wow, they liked it. Okay. <laughs> what would your biggest like piece of advice to someone who is facing anxiety as a comedian be i would say it's understandable and you're not alone a lot of people have anxiety and it also isn't the only way to be in life there is hope that you don't have to struggle with it as such a heavy burden i don't know that you can get rid of it completely i'm actually not certain about that but um but i know what it takes for me to be at peace and I also know how to identify stressful triggers that can kind of then snowball into anxiety Mm -hmm. um so for me once I feel the most anxious it's because I can trace it back to oh yeah this happened and this went unchecked and I have not been exercising or I have not been you know whatever and so um so yeah I would say there's if you're feeling kind of hopeless like I hate the way that this is and I hate that this always has to be this way the good news is it doesn't always have to be that way yeah um and also when it comes to your performing <laughs> like you can use it you know like yeah. it's okay to feel anxious and you can still get the job done yeah. um but it's even better when you don't have to feel anxious when you get to work so uh work on the anxiety part and then the actual work that you have to do will be even more rewarding yeah. well that's I think very nice and a good place for us to end. Thank you very much for inviting me over to your home and letting me meet your dogs. Yeah, thanks for putting up with my baby, (laughs) my dogs, and me getting up 1,800 times. And it was great to share these thoughts, so appreciate it. No problem.